You're listening to devpath.fm, the podcast about career development for software engineers. Join the conversation at www.devpath.fm or on Twitter at devpathfm. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. I'm Jacob Harrington and I'm here with Emma Vedekind. Emma is a software engineer at Logmean and a content creator. Emma, do you want to talk a little bit about your day job? Sure. So thanks for the introduction and thank you for having me. Um, What do I do day to day? So I sit on a development team uh, that consists of, I think, four front end developers and two QA. And we build the front end for GoToMeeting. And this is pretty neat um, because I get to interface with designers every day. And we're currently in the process of trying to build out a design system and a component library of React components. Um, So day to day, you know, we have we follow like the typical agile workflow. And so we have stories in each sprint. We're on two week sprints. And normally I'm just, you know, knocking out some of those uh, front end sprint work. Um, stories that we have to work on, such as um, creating new features and making the UI more accessible and, and all that fun stuff. A lot of your work and a lot of the content you create is in the front end. Did you start out in the front end or is that something that you've kind of shifted towards more recently? I did not start out on the front end. So I followed a traditional um, computer science undergraduate, which is ironic because it was something I was adamantly opposed to. Um, When I started college, I was a biology major and I was like pretty convinced I was going to go to medical school. And then pretty quickly, I realized that I was horrible at biology. Um, And so I switched over to computer science. And so with that came Java. Um, I was not in love with Java. I struggled so hard with it. Um, I'm not sure what it was, and I think a large part of that was the professors that I had. Some of them, maybe, I just didn't click with their teaching style, so I found it a little bit hard to absorb the language and the nuances and all the the concepts. Um, So I actually started in backend. I did take one web development course in college, but I did some database. I did some assembly language programming. Um, And when I was hired, my my first job, I was hired as a, a backend developer. But about, I would say, a month or two before I had started, I received an email um, from two of the managers, one who had hired me and a, a partnering manager, asking if I would be willing to switch over to front end. I was like, oh, yeah, cool. That sounds great. Like, I don't know anything about it, but sure, let's do it. <laughs> and so, like, I get to work on my first day and I realized pretty quickly, what the heck have I just done? I know nothing about front end. Plus, I'm working full time. How am I going to learn this? So I had to learn pretty quickly and it was a struggle. (laughs) I think most engineers, especially early on, have a, you know, a couple of experiences or one significant experience where they realize a lot of the things they did to prepare for their career maybe didn't prepare them so well. And so Mm -hmm. they have to do a lot of learning on the job. I think that's pretty typical. I think I was um, quite comfortable in the beginning part of, you know, of college and then the beginning part of my career where I I was in a fluffy state, I want to say, where people kind of, they didn't push me. They didn't tell me I needed to grow or to be better. And so I was kind of just um, ignorant to to the field and what it really would entail to be successful. So, Yeah. And one thing that I'm curious about is that shift from thinking you wanted to go to medical school and studying biology into computer science. How did you make that decision and kind of what prompted that? 
It wasn't so straightforward. So I was that kid like growing up that would always watch those weird medical shows. Like for some reason, I always felt like a calling to it. I was even in the fire department in high school because I was I was like 100% sure I was going to be a doctor. And then I get to school and it's a lot more rigorous than I had um, prepared myself for. Um, knowing I wasn't very good at um, biology or chemistry, I still went for it anyway. Um, and you know, when you start something and it's way above where you're at skill set wise, and it's just so um, not depressing, that's not the right word, but it's discouraging. Um, and so I kind of like became a recluse a little bit. And I did horrible my first semester. It was I had a 2.7 GPA. It was bad. And at that point, I had actually applied to another school in Albany, New York. And I was I had been accepted and I was going to go switch to um, I think it was music education. I would always been invested in music growing up my whole um, my whole life. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go to music school. And then at the last second, like something stopped me. And I was like, all right, I'm going to try something else. I'm going to stay where I am. I switched to actuarial science because I really enjoyed math. Um, and so that was when I got into my intro to computer science, um, which was pretty cool. I really liked that class that really got me interested in it for some reason. Like it was the duality of combining um, like creative creativity and, and um, combining code to composing code essentially um, with the logical aspects of it um, that really got me interested. And so it was sophomore year that I actually went ahead and declared a computer science major. So it definitely was not straightforward. My parents were thrilled because they're both in the tech industry. My dad is a senior architect and engineer. My mom's a senior designer. And so hence why I had never originally wanted to get into tech. It was kind of one of those like <laughs> spiteful things like, no, I'm not going to do what you tell me. Um, but I think that they were pretty thrilled at that point. Do you think that kind of late shift, do you think that affected how you learned or do you think that you kind of were able to shift all of your focus into a new discipline or a new goal? Um, to be honest, I struggled with learning throughout college and even in the early part of my career, I didn't know the right way to learn things. I didn't know what learning style was the best for me. Um, and for me, what I did was I, re I love to read. Um, and so what I would do is just like read books or read technical posts, but without fully trying to understand the concepts. And I wouldn't practice. That was, that was my biggest hindrance was like, I would read all, read all of these things, but I would never do anything with them. I would never put them into practice. Um, and yeah, I'm going to be honest, like I didn't learn I learned some concepts, right? Like I learned like algorithms from like a high level perspective. Um, I learned like the basics of computer science, but I, in all honesty, and this is all on me because this is, I never took accountability for this. I didn't get as much out of that degree and that learning path as I should have. Um, and part of me will always kind of regret that. Um, I think if I could go back and do it again, I would do it 110% and not, um, you know, do it half-heartedly. Um, so I would say it took me, about a year and a half after I graduated college while I was working full time that I really understood how I learned best. I think a lot of people don't really ever figure that out. So I wouldn't feel bad about, about that being a few years into your career because a lot of people, especially who go the traditional computer science route, finish school and get a job at a large company or get a job somewhere that's relatively stable and they learn one skill set and then that's what they do forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think too, um, there are a few other things, right? So we've got vertical 
knowledge and we've got horizontal knowledge. So vertical people are very good in one specific area and they can be considered experts. Um, and then we've got horizontal people, which um, have, you know, maybe not as deep of a knowledge, but they have more um, shallow knowledge on a lot of different areas. And I think the goal is to become T-shaped, right? Like find one or two things that you can really focus and hone your skills in on and then make sure that you can still work in other areas. Um, that's why I, I really push for having some knowledge of design, having some knowledge of like REST APIs and backend. Like if you're going to be a front end dev, like you need these things, but don't become overwhelmed because it is overwhelming. And if you try to focus on learning everything at once, you're just going to implode. So take it one step at a time. Um, and, and to be honest too, I hate the, um, the what it's not even a criticism it's it's a conversation a heated conversation you see a lot about well you know this person doesn't have a computer science degree this person went to a boot camp like they're not as good and it's like I have a computer science degree and I can tell you I did not get very much out of that other than some basic like problem solving skills just because someone has a degree does not make them any better than someone who doesn't so if you're having trouble learning something, it's not that you can't learn it. It's that you're probably not learning it in the right way. Um, like I was terrible at calculus. Like calculus almost made me drop out of college at all, like, you know, completely. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, a large part of that was maybe just the, the teaching style was not up my alley. And I think if you're struggling to learn something, there's a good chance if you try a different method to learn it, you know, it might it might stick. And, and one of the things that I'm passionate about is trying to write blog posts and break down these really complex topics for beginners because there are a lot of great blog posts and tutorials out there but um you know sometimes they can be a little too low level and too complicated for beginners so that's something that i would like to change is let's make this a little bit more beginner friendly have you historically or do you currently deal with imposter syndrome every day um and people ask me too how can you get rid of it and honestly you can't um you just get better at managing it and it comes um it becomes more prevalent. Um, the longer that you work in this industry, the less often you, you'll realize its presence. Um, how do I overcome this? That's a really great question. Um, I don't know that you ever do. And I think I feel this every day. It's like, you just got to keep persevering and pushing through. And I think I get my small wins from developing little apps on my own time, or if I'm building something at work, and I'm like, oh, man, how am I going to do this? And I break it down and I create logic diagrams and I, I work on my problem solving skills. And eventually I get to the point where I have this completed feature. Those are my wins. And those kind of beat down on that imposter syndrome a little bit. It's like I didn't know React Redux, um, you know, a year ago. And now, look, I'm building fully fledged like enterprise applications with it. So um, it definitely helps to get small wins in there. You're very right. There's there's definitely an experience where you realize that everyone feels this way um, and that it's not weird or wrong and you're not bad at this because you feel like you don't know enough or you feel like you're not cut out for it. Um, at some point, everyone feels that. And then there are some really good ways to to deal with it like in a healthy way. But I think, too, there's this incessant need to always prove yourself in this industry, which is so sad. Um, we don't really openly discuss imposter syndrome. And it's only been recently that these discussions have been happening. But why are people so afraid to admit what they don't know or that they don't know? I don't see why that's such a bad thing. I mean, if we look at technical interviews, if I'm asked a question that I don't know the answer to, 
I'm going to be honest about it because do you really want to work with someone who pretends they have all the answers and they're very adamant and pushing their their response on you when they don't have an idea, but they're not going to own up to that? That's not the kind of people that I think we all agree. We don't want, you know, we don't want to work with those types of people. Um, But I really don't understand this backlash of admitting that we don't have the answers or we don't have certain skills. Like if you look at the blog post that Dan Abramoff posted like a couple of weeks ago where he listed all the things that he doesn't know. I respect that so much. And the the crap he got for that was so unwarranted because, you know, we we put um, some of these people in tech up on a pedestal sometimes and we say, oh, my gosh, they know everything. They know exactly what they're talking about. Um, and in reality, we're just normal people and there are flaws and there are gaps in our knowledge. And the fact that he had, um, you know, the, the guts to go out and, and put this blog post out, like, I respect that. Because that takes away this um, untouchable feeling of like these people are so much better than me and they're so much higher up. It's like we're just people and we still have things we need to learn. So we need to make this more of an open conversation. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, One of the primary inspirations for this podcast is kind of demystifying that like pedestal you described. Um, You know, I'm inviting people to come talk with me who are considered very successful or are very well known or have done something to kind of set themselves apart. And a lot of people look at those individuals. I know at one point in my career, I definitely did. And they think that person is either super smart, super lucky or uh, super talented. And they, you know, have these advantages and and they're infallible or whatever. Um, And the reality is they're just people and they have things they're good at and they have things they're bad at. And in a lot of cases, they just don't talk about the things they're bad at. And I think that, being willing to say, I don't know, is one of the more valuable skills that a, especially juniors, but a software engineer can have, because that's the single best way to learn. Yeah. And I don't think anyone will ever chastise you for asking a question. I think we need to be better about learning when to ask questions, because when I started out, I would ask a question without even trying to come up with a solution myself. And that was really, um, that was a turning point for me when I had a coworker look at me and be like, you need to go figure these things out on your own to a certain extent. And when you're stuck, come back. But like, it got to the point where I'd be like, oh, like, what is a promise? And I wouldn't even take the time to Google it. And I was like, that is such a disservice to myself. And also it's disrespectful to my coworkers, right? Like you need to find a good balance about asking questions. But, um, you know, I would say too, the moment you stop asking questions, you should be concerned because this is a, an industry where you have to constantly be learning new things. And the moment you kind of give up on that, um, that's going to cause you to plateau and, and potentially lose out on some success that you you might have otherwise achieved. So I want to ask you about your first experience providing mentorship. When did you like realize that you had something to teach others? Well, I struggled a lot with, um, you know, just learning front end development in general um, and kind of um, trying to break down these really hard to understand and abstract topics. Um, and so I wouldn't say I have ever formally mentored someone, but I'm definitely a huge advocate for mentoring. Um, and I think once I realized that um, there are a lot of people out there like myself who learn best with real world analogies or with kind of dumbing down concepts um, to be more approachable. Um, and then I started blogging about it and, was, and I saw how well, you know, the, these things were received. 
um, is when I, I realized that we need to be better at kind of humanizing some of these really technical topics. And so while I haven't formally mentored someone, I really tried to to leave my mark in the community and, and leave it in a better condition than I, I found it. Um, because there are so many awesome and passionate developers out there who, who don't have someone to mentor them. Uh, I get a lot of DMs or direct messages for, from people who can't find a mentor, who need career advice, who need technical advice. And I do my best to help everyone. Um, but, you know, I also, I'm still new to this industry, right? I've only been working professionally for three and a half or four years. I keep forgetting. I, I graduated in t- 2015. So I guess that would make it almost four years. Um, so I'm not going to pretend that I have all the answers, but um, I have uh, moved around enough to different teams, to different products to get a really good feeling for um, how to handle certain situations or um, to be able to give advice to people who are very fresh in this industry. So, um, you know, mentorship in tech is one of the biggest problems that has yet to be solved. Um, it does seem like there, you know, everyone's pushing for people to get a mentor, which I highly um, would also advocate for, but there's not one place that someone can go to get a tech mentor, at least not for free. Um, and so that's kind of where my initiative with Coding Coach came out of was, um, I always struggled to find mentors, um, in my last role and it got to the point where I was like, well, if there's no platform out there and it's a highly coveted, um, you know, desire from people, I'm going to go ahead and build it. And so that's what our goal is, is to make mentorship, um, accessible to everyone all over the world and have there be no barrier to entry to have no fee to pay. There are some mentoring sites, but they, they can get quite expensive. Um, and, you know, I haven't signed up for them, but that's a huge barrier for a lot of people in, in different countries who can't afford it. Um, so, you know, hopefully this can be something we we create for the to better the community to have, you know, free access to mentors and such. But, yeah, I wouldn't say I've officially mentored. Anyone. Well, I mean, you, you create a lot of content. So um, and, you know, you've started this open source project, uh, which I will link somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you uh I mean, I would say that even if you're not doing one-on-one mentorship or you're not formally meeting with somebody over coffee or something, you know, you definitely are mentoring people. So maybe to reframe the question a little bit, when did you first start producing content? What what led you to make that decision? That's a good question. Um, I always really enjoyed writing. Um, I actually would have, I was so close to declaring a writing minor. And maybe this stems from the fact that I love to read. Um, so um, the reason I started blogging in the first place was because I used it as a way to teach myself things. Um, and I would take notes and then I would turn them into a blog post that I could go back and reread later to make sure I understood it. Because when you teach something to someone, you develop a deeper understanding of it. So it really, um, it sounds selfish, but it was a way to teach myself things. And then I was like, all right, if I, you know, I can teach myself things by doing this, maybe someone else can learn something. And I, and I would push this stuff out. Um, and people always ask like, how do you blog so much? And it's like, I just get in these moods sometimes where I just, I sit down and like two hours later, I've just like published a blog. Um, they do vary right on like different, like sometimes they're career based, sometimes they're more technical, but yeah, they, they all stem from the fact that I didn't have the resources available that I needed to learn these things. So I decided to create them myself. Um, and so whenever I feel like there's something new I want to learn or, 
if I ever have a situation at work or in my personal life that I think could help someone, I'd like to write it down. It's it's more, it's also to kind of like, um, not therapy, that sounds a little strange, but it's a way for me to process some of these things or, or events that happen. Um, like if I ever have career advice or like about being a woman in tech, right? Like sometimes I write these things as a method of like getting my feelings out on, on paper. Sometimes they're a way for me to teach myself. So um, it really varies, but that was kind of the starting point was um, the content didn't exist that I needed. And so I decided to create it as a method of like teaching myself. Yeah, I think that's pretty common, actually. Um, a lot of people start building content because they want to remember something or because they want to mm-hmm. uh, learn a subject more deeply. So they force themselves to kind of write about it, to find their knowledge gaps and to solidify their knowledge. Um, that's something I think a lot of people who want to create content but don't struggle with. And I think everyone who does create content at some point probably felt that there's this weird obsession with like making useful content where people don't want to write stuff down or they don't want to share things because they think no one's going to use this. Why would I make that? I think that's kind of, of a misunderstanding between most content creators and their communities. A lot of content creators aren't writing blog posts or tweeting a lot because they want to build. I mean, some people are, some people want to build their professional brand or whatever, but a lot of those people are creating content for themselves. Like, you know, a lot of your blog posts are probably notes to yourself. This podcast is very straightforward. I am a junior engineer asking questions to people with more experience. Um, I'm not doing this necessarily because I want to share it. I'm doing this because these are questions I would ask if I was having coffee with you. And I feel like that's something that probably mm-hmm. needs to be communicated a little more for people yeah. who want to create content but are maybe afraid to or don't really understand why others create content. So there are a few things um, that I, I think would be useful for people looking to create content. Um, one, um, create content that you're interested in. So um, if you're not interested in something and you're not enthusiastic about it, people aren't going to digest it. Um, you need to like what you're producing. Um, the second thing is just because you know blogging is a popular thing to do doesn't mean you have to force yourself to blog. If you don't like blogging, then don't do it. Um, you know push stuff up to GitHub. If you like creating applications, like uh, contribute to open source or like push all your projects to GitHub. Like there's more than just one medium for producing content. Like maybe you want to create tutorial videos, but find what you enjoy and do it really well. Um, Don't try to produce content that you think your followers are going to like. Produce content that is authentic to you and that you like because people came here for you, right? They didn't come here to read or watch the content that you think that they want to see or hear, (laughs) if that makes sense. Um, But if you're worried that like, hey, you know, this topic has been covered so many different times, like people aren't going to care. It's you have a different perspective. Like two, no two people on this earth have gone through the same exact experiences. So you will always have a unique perspective on it. And maybe your perspective touches someone, um, you know, who was previously struggling to, to digest other methods of content in that area. So if, if in doubt, do it, if you write it, or if you create it, they will eventually come. And that was the biggest piece of advice I got from a coworker was, who cares if anyone's listening? Do this for you. Do it because you love it. Um, and eventually people who are like-minded will find you and will um, 
will join in on the conversation. And that's ultimately what happened with me is, you know, I was just writing blogs for the fun of it. Um, I did it because I enjoyed it. And, um, and then, you know, something happened and maybe someone with a lot of followers like retweeted something and, you know, my following eventually did come. It was like, it wasn't anything I had done. I had just been doing what I had been doing all along. Um, and eventually people will come. So if your goal is to get a following, you might want to reevaluate your goals. Your goal should be to produce the content that you enjoy and eventually people will follow you. Yeah, I absolutely love that advice. Um, because I've had that conversation a few times, I think the advice of like scratching your own itch mm -hmm. in content creation rings especially true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, and, and the other thing is too, people tend to gravitate towards quote unquote influencers. I do not like that word, although I understand it. Um, people tend to gravitate towards influencers or other people who have a history or a backlog of content that they've already produced. Like if I go find someone new to watch and I'm like, oh, I love their stuff. And they only got like two videos or like two blog posts. I'm like, eh, like it doesn't look like they're doing very much. They're not very active. Like, man, do I really want to follow them? But if you just keep producing content and you accumulate this backlog of, of content um, and all these new people are coming to find you, then they can go through all of your past work and they can share all of your past work. And then, you know, it, it'll grow um, exponentially that way. So regardless of if people are reading, eventually, you know, they'll find you. Um, but yeah, I just um, don't set a goal to get X amount of followers by the specific date. Like set a goal to like, I don't know, write five blog posts and see, see how that impacts your following, right? Just be authentic. Don't just produce content for, for the sake of getting likes or for the sake of getting, you know, more followers. Um, just be authentic about it. Yeah, that, that seems to be something that you have a lot of knowledge about, just building that that following or just building content. And I think that's a really healthy approach to say, I'm not trying to get X amount of followers. I'm trying to produce more content that I appreciate. Yeah, it's so unhealthy when you're just numbers obsessed because I remember in the beginning I was like, oh my gosh, like I just gained like 10,000 followers in like two days. And I'm like, this unhealthy obsession eventually caused me to like have a mental breakdown. And I was like, I cannot continue on this path. Like, this is so unhealthy that I spend, what was it, maybe like eight hours a day on my phone is what screen time said. And okay, some of that was watching YouTube, right? So like, <laughs> when you devote that much time to a social media site, like, it better be your job, right? Like yeah. <laughs> I was devoting my free time to this and it was taking a toll on me mentally. You cannot be numbers obsessed. And I think this goes with most everything in life, right? Like if you're trying to lose weight, don't focus on the number on the scale, focus on how you're feeling or like the lifestyle that you're trying to adopt. Um, and those things will follow. So. Yeah, that's really great advice. So I want to ask you kind of a harder question mm -hmm. uh, in your life. What is something that you consider yourself to be bad at? Oh, how much time do we got? Um, no, yeah. I don't. <laughs> it, yeah, I would totally agree. It's like people would look at me or look at other people, quote unquote, successful in this industry. Um, and, um, would say that, yeah, everything looks pretty good. And I hate that about social media, right? Like I'm the kind of person that doesn't like to sugarcoat things. Um, because for, you know, maybe there's someone else in a very similar situation to yourself. So like, for example, I have medical issues and yeah, they hinder my day to day life sometimes and it can really impact me so like I'm tired all the time and I get headaches and I just don't feel well most of the time and people don't see that um we don't talk about it because for some reason like there's a stigma associated with like 
talking about these things. And I hate that, you know, we're all humans. Like at the end of the day, we're just people. Um, so while I struggle with always constantly feeling tired and like struggling to find the motivation and productivity, um, there are also other things in my life that I struggle with. So one of these is, um, not saying no to things. I say yes to almost everything. And this is terrible because, um, while it has provided me so many great opportunities, I get stressed out and burned out quite easily. So I really need to be better at saying no to things, especially when like, I'm not fully invested in something. Um, if you're not fully invested in something, I would highly recommend that you take a step back and figure out if you really want to commit to it. I was listening to an audiobook today. It was, I can't remember the name. It was uh, habits that um, successful people don't do or like things that successful people don't do. And one of those things is say yes to everything. And the suggestion was if someone asks you to do something, even if it's just like to make plans to go out and get dinner, um, just tell them, hey, I don't know what I have going on, but I'll get back to you within the day or something. And really take take a look at like, do I want to, you know, commit to write blog posts for an, someone um, and, and make that have a deadline on it? Or do I want to go out to dinner with these people and be more selective with with the things that you commit to? I think that'll help. I need to work on that specifically um, because I love to say, I'm going to do all of these things. And then I get into this phase where I'm trying to multitask. And we all know multitasking is like a catalyst for um, immediate failure. <laughs> so that's something I definitely struggle with. Um, uh, and, you know, another side of the whole internet fame type of thing is now everything I post on the internet is being um, not criticized, but it's being watched, right? So like, I have to be very careful about the way that I phrase things, especially on Twitter, because this community is so great, but it can also be so um, toxic at times too, because if you forget to add a word in, or if you word thing, something um, maybe without thinking twice about it, someone will take that out of context and someone will start an argument with you. So for me, that's something I struggle with is like making sure when I tweet something or like post something um, that, you know, I've read it several times and I, I think, is this really how I want my message to come across? Um, and that's unfortunately, it goes hand in hand with with um, being having a presence online is there will always be people there will always be people who take what you say of context or who doubt you and you just kind of got to let those things go. So when you talk about needing to kind of curate your own content to not offend people or to not be misinterpreted, does that like affect the amount of content you're able to produce or the desire you have to produce content? Or is it something that you've just accepted as reality? Um, I don't think it impacts my my creativity or like my content production at all. Um, I I will say like there have been times, for example, where like I've tweeted something. So like one, here's one example. I tweeted one day about code comments and about clean code. And I was like, oh, you know, you shouldn't, I, I don't know how I phrased it, but I phrased it in such a way that it didn't accurately represent what I had meant to say. I think it came across as like, you should never use code comments. And that is totally not my view. But the problem is, you know, on Twitter, you've got 140 characters, right? Like I can't write, I could write a novel, but no one's going to read the whole thing. So um, it got so much backlash and I was sitting there like, oh, crap, like this isn't what I meant to say. So it got to a point where like I ended up taking it down. Um, and so, so from that, it's kind of like, all right, like if I'm going to make these kind of statements and put them out in the world, like I want to make sure that this represents how I'm truly like my, my true viewpoint on things. So I wouldn't say that it impacts what I put out from like a quantitative perspective. 
from a qualitative perspective, though, it definitely does. Like, I'm definitely better at honing in on how I actually want these statements to be to be taken. I'm open to having discussions about it, but like, I want to make sure what I produce represents me and my opinions um, in the in the way that they were intended. You've already touched on it, but what is a piece of advice that you feel you repeat frequently? Hmm. Okay, I have a couple, and one of them might be slightly controversial, which is fine. Um, we'll, start <laughs> we'll start with that one. So um, I get a lot of people who have no experience with development messaging, or like they're extremely brand new, um, and they message me, and they're like, what JavaScript framework should I learn? And I'm like, all right, you need to take, like, take, a, take a step back for a second and just learn the basics first, right? Like lay the foundation for your career into tech, right? I am a huge proponent of building the foundational skills before I add layers onto that. Um, I think that's the best way, or that that's how I would recommend someone learn because um, I did it backwards, right? Like I was trying to learn JavaScript framework before I understood how JavaScript works. And I spent so much time like putting out fires as a result. So when people ask me that, that's my answer is let's learn the basics of the, the languages or, or the technologies before we build upon those. Um, I will say all learning is good learning, right? So if that's not the way that you learn, if you would like to learn a framework first and learn the basics as you go, all the power to you, like that's great. But that's not how I would recommend someone go about it in general. Um, the second piece of advice is you can't learn everything. So I would recommend you pick, you know, one or two areas that you're passionate about that you really want to focus in on. So like for me, that was accessibility. That was something that I really enjoyed. Um, now I'm trying to transition over to like CSS animations or SVG animations. I make that my thing for this year. Um, yeah, so you can't learn everything. You got to really pick and choose what you learn and focus on learning that one thing. If you can focus on learning the one thing at a time until you're, you're pretty content with where you are skill set wise. Um, because when you try to learn like, five different technologies at the same time um you know maybe you can actually learn from that right like maybe you can learn how they integrate together and all that stuff but um like if i so here's an example like i work a lot with gatsby i'm a huge fan of gatsby but they also use graphql and i'm struggling right now because i'm trying to build like a react gatsby blog while not understanding all these graphql queries and i'm struggling with that because i haven't taken the time to go learn graphql before i'm trying to work with it so um, I would say focus on one thing at a time, learn it, you know, until you're content and then pick something else to learn. So before we wrap up, Emma, I want to give you a chance to plug yourself. Where should somebody go if they want to learn more about you? Um, gosh, I hate that because like I am like one of the most <laughs> like non like plug myself type of people. Um, if y'all really want to get to know me better, I am quite vocal over on Twitter, which is just Emma Vedican. Um, nothing fancy there. Um, I like I said, I like to blog, so I have blogs on Medium and also um, the dev.to site, so y'all can check me out there. But yeah, if you have any questions, you can always DM me. My DMs are always open. Um, and other than that, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Um, I had a great time. No, oh, yeah, I really enjoyed hearing about kind of your expertise on being. Uh, content creator and mentorship. I think there's a lot of actionable advice in here and a lot of wisdom that you've built up uh, by creating your own content. So thanks for sharing. Yeah, thank you. 
Thanks for listening to devpath.fm. Want to ask a question? Send an email to jacob at devpath.fm.